In Luke chapter 5, we read an event early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Aren't you glad you go to a church where you hear the word of God? He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which in the ship. They should come and help them. And they came and they filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch man. Lord, thank you for the beautiful music we've heard. Thank you for the prayer of a solo that you would be magnified, dear Jesus, and you would be lifted up and you would draw all men to yourself. Thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for my privilege to preach it. Please empower me by your spirit and open our hearts to your truth and do a work in us that could only come from you. Bind, I pray, the devil and those unclean spirits that serve him. Keep them from their stated purpose to snatch the seed of your word out of the soil of our hearts. Help us to decide that we'll be good receptive, open ground, gladly receiving what you have for us. If there are those who don't know they have a home in heaven, help them to know how much you love them. Help them to know that you want them to have a home in heaven with you forever and help them to be settled on that before they walk out of this room. Bless the preaching and the invitation. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. It's early, the ministry of our Lord. And in that northern region of Israel called Canaan, he's immensely popular. Crowds gather every place he goes. And here he is right in front of the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias, same body of water. It's about eight miles wide, about 13 miles long. And he stands there with the water behind him. The people press upon him to hear the word of God. So now their bodies will absorb the sound of his voice. 
those at the back of the crowd may have a harder time hearing. But he looks over and there's a couple of empty boats. The owners are gone out of them. And the Bible says that Jesus entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. Anybody here own a boat? It's okay, I'm not preaching against it. <laughs> I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner. The day I bought my boat and the day I sold my boat. But Jesus walks into Peter's boat. Imagine you take your boat down to the lake. <coughs> Back it up. Winch it off the trailer. <coughs> Tie it by the dock. Go park your truck. You come back, somebody's sitting in your boat. What would you say? Hi, how y'all doing? I'm from Michigan, but I was born in South Carolina. I graduated high school and college there. So I know, as you do most of you, that y'all is not plural. Y'all is singular. And all y'all is plural, and all y'alls is, is plural possessive. But I mean, Jesus walks into Peter's boat and sits down there acting like like he owns the place. Oh, I guess he does. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Excuse my coughing, I'm not sick, but because of the radiation, it uh, killed a lot of cells in my throat and they gotta go somewhere, so I'll just spit them on your floor. <laughs> You see, the Lord Jesus can never intrude. He can never ask for too much from us. Every night, preacher, five o'clock tonight, seven o'clock Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, prayer meeting Saturday, prayer meeting Sunday morning, in <coughs> that little excessive. I mean, it's like, like you're making God the most important thing in our lives or something. And then he makes a request. Peter, would you just thrust out a little bit from the land? Peter does. Now there's some water between the Lord Jesus and the crowd. Acts like a soundboard amplifies his voice. People hear him. He gets old, then he makes another request. He says, launch out into the deep and put all your nets in the water. And it's like Peter says, Jesus, you know the preaching business. You want to use my boat? I said, sure. I didn't say how long we're going to do with it. When do I get it back? But I know the fishing business. If there are any fish to be taken in this body of water, we'd have caught them last night. We do this for a living. I was washing those nets when you showed up and interrupted me and I got to have them for tomorrow and I'd like to get some rest. So I don't want to put them all back in, but I'll put one net in the water. I'll humor you. And when he does, so many fish 
fill the net instantly that the net begins to break and they call their partners and they bring their ship and they get all the fish in the boats and both ships are so full of fish they begin to sink. Peter's embarrassed. His limited obedience, his lack of faith. He falls at the knees of the Lord Jesus and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And the Lord answers with words we hear all through the Bible, fear not. And then he says, from henceforth thou shalt catch man. And that occasion of Peter's limited obedience and lack of faith becomes the occasion of his call to the ministry. Your church is on a quest for revival. What will that take? Your preacher wants you to get closer to God, to experience him, to know him personally, individually. What's that going to take? And I know him well enough to know that he pretty well believes Everybody that ought to be reached by Canaan Baptist Church has been reached and all the souls that need to be saved in this area already know the Lord. All the marriages that need to be healed have been put back together and all the rebellious children have returned to the... No, he doesn't. He wants to support more missionaries, start more ministries, add more bus routes, knock on more doors, pass out more tracts, win more people to Christ. How are you going to do that? In all those things, and in particular, in the matter of revival, I believe that the Lord Jesus is going to make a request of each of us, one of the two requests he made of Peter. For most of us, he'll say, would you thrust out a little from the land? If this meeting ended and the average Christian was praying a bit more and reading their Bible more and giving a bit more and serving a bit more and a bit closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say that was a good meeting. If everybody did a little bit more, it'd add up to a bunch. But some of us, in fact, many of us. And if you want to have more than a good meeting, if you want to have revival, to begin to live again, the word literally means to resume the kind of life God always intended his children to have, a life of answered prayer, a life of abiding in Christ, a life of fruit that remains. Think about that. Suppose and I took this mic off and said, hey, tell me a prayer request the Lord's answered in the last little bit. Point me to somebody the Spirit of God has used you to share the gospel with and now they're growing and going for their fruit that remains. Most of us would hope the batteries went dead. If we're going to have that, then there needs to be some people, probably a good many, 
who are willing to launch out into the deep. I want you to see some lessons from this portion of scripture. Lesson number one is this. The Lord Jesus does most of his work through ordinary people and their possessions. Jesus had rich followers. Joseph Arimathea was rich. Nicodemus was very well off. Ladies followed the Lord Jesus around. We don't talk about that much. We don't know what to make of it, but they did. One was named Joanna. She was the wife of Chuzza, Herod Stewart. And the Bible says they ministered to him of their substance. He could have had somebody build him a dock, put a gazebo at the end, hang a soundboard, preach to the crowd. He didn't do that. He used the simple boat of an ordinary fisherman. See, we think, well, there's some great churches out there. Those great churches are doing great things for the cause of Christ. My good friend, John Wilkerson, pastor's First Baptist Church in Hammond. He's a wonderful Christian. and God's doing tremendous things in that church. I think he'd been there less than a year and he'd put 1,100 people into discipleship. Great church. My dear friend, Brother Paul Chapel. Pastors, Lancaster Baptist Church, I suppose they're pretty close back to pre-COVID numbers, which is about 5,000, million and a half a year to missions, about a $20 million a year budget, 80 plus million dollars of buildings that have been built in the last 30 years. Oh, those great churches are getting the job done. I thank God for them. We can learn from them. But the typical independent Baptist church has 110 people in it on a Sunday morning. Y'all got way more than that. From those churches come most of our Bible college students, most of our missionaries, most of our pastors, most of our Christian workers. And the fact of the matter is that you could shut the doors of those great example churches and leave churches like ours going and the work of God would be just fine. But you leave that handful of great churches, shut the doors of the rest of us, and the work of God will dry up overnight. No, no, don't ever think you don't matter. Don't ever think the little bit you give, the little bit you do, the little bit you serve, the few people you can get to come to church, the little bit of involvement that you can have in the inner workings of the work of God don't really matter. It wouldn't matter if you didn't show up for choir. It wouldn't matter if you didn't come to prayer meeting. It wouldn't matter if you didn't go knocking on doors. No, 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 no. The Lord Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. I do not know, nor do you, what the most important element in the revival God would like to bring to the Canaan Baptist Church would be, it might be the testimony of a 14-year-old. It might be the simple, sincere, heart-touching prayer of a child. It might be the earnest intercession of an aged saint, barely able to get out of the house, but begging God for something special this week. 
God uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. Hey, I got a question. Can Jesus use your boat? Would you make yourself available to God? Ari Tori had a famous prescription for revival and something like this. First, let a few Christians gather together. There need not be many. Let them get thoroughly right with God themselves. If this is not done, nothing else will matter. Second, let them bind themselves to pray for God to come and commit to pray until God's reviving work. And third, he said, let them make themselves available to God to use as he sees fit in the winning of people to Christ. And then he said, that's all. He said, this prescription has never failed in any place that it has been tried, nor can it fail. Amen. Let them make themselves available. That may mean some sacrifice every night. Five o'clock tonight, seven o'clock Monday night, seven o'clock Tuesday night, seven o'clock Wednesday. may mean more than that. Fortunately, you live in an area where there's not much traffic. <laughs> so it'd be easy to get home after work and, no, nah, some of you will fight through nasty traffic, dash into the house, wash your hands, grab a sandwich, jump back in the car in your work clothes and hurry to church if you're going to make it. Make yourself available. Can you use your boat? Number one, Jesus uses ordinary people in their possessions to do most of his work. Number two, the Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Peter has worked all night. You ever work all night? Feel great in the morning, don't you? Oh, man, I have walked out after working all night and felt so tired that I, that I felt like I was watching myself do stuff. Does that make any sense? Peter's tired. Not only that, he's frustrated. Hadn't caught any fish. If you and I go fishing, we don't catch any fish. It's a disappointment. If Peter doesn't catch any fish, it's a disaster. That's what he lives on. Jesus said, Peter, Instead of going home, instead of getting some rest, I want you to all your nets, put them in the water. <clears throat> After I've used your boat, then get ready for a great catch of fish. Can Jesus use your boat when it's inconvenient? I know a lot of people going to serve God later. After the kids grow up after they get their journeyman's card, after they finish their master's of business administration, after they get the house built, after things settle down a little bit. I'm sorry. 
God doesn't give a rip what you say you would do with the time you don't have. He doesn't care anymore about that. Do what you say you would do with the money you don't have. He wants to know what you will do with 168 hours a week. He gives you now. Amen. Can Jesus use your boat? Even when it's inconvenient. Amen. Number three. The Lord Jesus asks us to serve him when it's illogical. By now, it is probably about noon. How many like to fish? We got any fishermen here? We got a lot more fishermen than boat owners. I don't know how that works. Any fisherman knows the best time to catch fish is right about noon. No. Sun's high, water's warm, fish run deep. Bugs they normally eat are not on the surface of the water. You fish early in the morning, you fish late in the evening. You don't fish midday. Dumb time to go fishing. Jesus says, hey, get all your nets and put them in the water and get ready for a big catch of fish. Illogical. Lord, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't want me to pray at one of those prayer meetings because I mean I, I still don't put my words together very well and probably be embarrassing probably just cause trouble you, you don't want me to pray you surely wouldn't want me to give a testimony I mean I don't want to lead in silent prayer I don't talk in front of other people you wouldn't want me Teach a Sunday school class, right? There's people in this church with master's degrees and they know the Bible and they're personable and charismatic and they can do a much better job than me. Lord, you wouldn't want me to go knocking on doors and talk to perfect strangers. Or if I did that, Lord, I wouldn't have to knock. My hand would be shaking by the time I lifted it up. I'd hit the door automatically. Be so scared. Every time I do try to speak in public, my tang gets all tumbled up. My Lord, that doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. Can Jesus use your boat? Can he use your boat when it's inconvenient and when it's illogical? Next thing I want you to see is this. This is really important. The Lord Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. Peter lets Jesus use his boat maybe maximum for a few hours. And he gets the biggest catch of fish he ever had in his life. Well, how do you know that? Because they filled both boats so they began to sink. If you're a fisherman and you caught so many fish, your boats began to sink, you'd buy a bigger boat. Wow. Preacher, you may remember when I was younger, there's a lot of people who go around the country giving their testimony. It goes something like this. I could have been a professional football player, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a country singer, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a wealthy businessman, but I gave that up to serve God. I knew one guy and he said he could have been all three. 
football-playing, singing businessman. He gave it up to serve God. And we're supposed to go, wow, God really got lucky when you signed up, didn't he? Yeah. I want to tell you something. I got out of college at the age of 20, got married a few days later, less than a week after my wedding. Got married on a Saturday, started on a Thursday as a youth pastor, been in the work of God all these years. I gave up nothing to serve God. God has been better to me than the world ever could have been, the devil ever would have been. I gave him my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe, pure and white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven, and that's why I'm happy tonight. It's a good deal to serve Jesus Christ. He generously rewards those who serve him. No man has forsaken father, mother, wife, children, Houses, lands, I'll give him a hundred times better in this life. And I'll give him everlasting life on the other side. Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. Think about that everlasting life. My uh, visit to them revealed that I had a tumor on my vocal cords back in May about a year ago. And uh, doctor said, I suspect it may be cancer. We won't know until we do a biopsy. I said to my wife, Chrissy, I said, well, there are four possibilities. It's not cancer and they can fix it. It is cancer and they can fix it. It's cancer and they have to take out my voice box. In which case my job would remain the same serving God. My assignment might have changed. Might have done more writing and less speaking. Might have got my trumpet out and learned to play it again or freshened up on it. I didn't know if I had one of those little voice deals if anybody had me speak or not, but I had my first joke ready. If my mother could hear me now, she would say how dare you speak to me in that tone of voice? <laughs> I said, or number four, they can't fix it and I die, in which case I go to heaven. Amen. Hey, what a wonderful Savior. What a glorious gospel. What a blessed assurance. What a tremendous life we have as children of God. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is the best thing could ever happen to us. Hey, did you know God loves you so much he wants to spend forever with you? How about that? Brother Alec, do you have grandchildren? How many do you have? Nine grandchildren. We have grandchildren. We love them. They come to our house. We live out in the country. And I'll take him for rides through the woods on our range. Sure, I'll get down on the floor in the living room and wrestle with him, and we'll play and have a good time. And when they leave, we go, <sighs> God wants you to spend forever with him. See, there's one thing keeps people from going to heaven. The Bible says the wages, or the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
Now, people know they're bad. I don't have any trouble getting people to understand they've sinned. But we're in really bad trouble with God because of our sin. He says, you can't get into heaven because of your sin. So people say, well, I'll be good. Or they'll say, I'll join a church. Or they'll say, I'll get baptized. Or they'll say, I'll give away money. But the Bible doesn't say wages of sin is to be good. Join a church, give away money, get baptized. The Bible says wages of sin is death. If I got to pay what I owe for my sin myself, I got to die and go to hell. If you have to pay what you owe for your sin yourself, you got to die and go to hell. But the Bible says God loves us and he doesn't want us to go to hell. Here's what he did. God commended his love toward us. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died in our place. Born of a virgin, never sinned. Lived perfectly on this earth. A third of a century went to the cross shed his blood, died, rose from the grave. Christ died for us. Christ died, the Bible says, for our sin. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from your sins. Saved from the penalty of your sins. Saved from dying and going to hell. Saved to everlasting life. God loves you. Let's give you eternal life. He generously rewards those who serve him. But here's the next number. Say, Brother Len, how many numbers are there? Less than 50. <laughs> if we limit our obedience, we limit our reward. Amen. The extent of your obedience as an individual will determine this week the extent of your revival. Amen. The extent of our obedience corporately as the Canaan Baptist Church will determine the extent of revival that God says to the Canaan Baptist Church. You're probably a better Christian than me. I have a tendency to negotiate with God. I started when I pastored First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, something called the Faith Building Offering. We needed to do some things in our building, didn't have any extra money in the budget. So I asked people <laughs> to give a gift all they could have at once. The rest were for a year. By faith, taking care of things in the building. And we're building our faith by doing it. First year we did that, God told me to give $10,000. I didn't have it, but I promised it and it worked out. And the next year, he told me to give a little more. And the next year, a little more. And the next year, a little more. And finally, I said, Lord, this is not going to work. If I keep doing this, pretty soon, I'll be giving away more money than I make. Only the government can do that. Because <laughs> only the government can make more money. Not earn it, just make it. You see... You need to keep the Lord informed about things like that. Make sure he's aware. Lord, I, I'm giving three times as much as anybody else. I, I can't keep doing this. One Wednesday night I was teaching and I was talking about trusting God. And the Spirit of God said to me as I stood behind our pulpit, can you trust me? 
Lord, th this is for them. Can you trust me? Can you trust him? Do you trust him? Will you trust him? And in that moment, I did one of the hardest and the most important and the sweetest things a child of God can ever do. I surrendered. Limit your obedience. Limit your reward. Peter, put all your nets into the water. I'll put one net in. Be in the break. What if he'd put all the nets in? What if they could have drugged the nets behind the ship? Wouldn't they have had to take the other ship out try to put them in the boat? What if they'd had all those nets in the water? I wonder how many fish they would have caught then. Limits your obedience. Limits your reward. Come two weeknights instead of three, you may get two-thirds of the reward. Maybe less. I read about a wealthy man that given enough money to build an entire church building, furnishings, land, everything. And not long after that, he suffered a business reversal and lost everything, got a job, went to work every day like most of us. Was walking down the street with a friend of his by that building. The friend rather cynically said, well... I bet you wish now you hadn't given away all that money. And the former rich man smiled. Oh, he said, if I had kept that, I would have lost it when I lost everything else. Mm. And he pointed to the building and he said, that's the only thing I saved, church. Can I tell you one day, you and I are going to get to heaven and we're going to find out the only thing we're able to save is what we gave. Limit our obedience, limit our reward. One more lesson. I read you verses, I think, 1 through 10. I didn't read verse 11. Verse 11 says something like this. I don't have my Bible with me. It's a long way back up there. And I don't like to walk much when I preach. When they came to shore... They forsook all and followed him. All what? Well, all those fish they just got. That net they were so worried about getting wet again, the ships that they used to earn their livelihood, they became fishers of men, servants of the Lord Jesus, disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, when they got around the Lord Jesus, when they found out what it was like to be close to him, to be involved in his work, the Bible says we are laborers together with God. Wow. Supposing you had the chance to help Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel. Supposing that you had the chance to be involved in engineering and constructing the Mackinac Bridge, longest suspension bridge in the world. Supposing you had the opportunity to be involved in performing heart surgery on a needy patient with one of the great heart surgeons of the day. Wow, if I could help, I'd be glad to. God says, you can help me. 
Once they saw what it was like to be involved with the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing else mattered. Nothing else was important. They didn't care about anything else. If you miss everything in the sermon, don't miss this. Here's the final lesson. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. See, the Lord Jesus chose 12 that he might teach them and that they might be with him. Did you know the best part about serving Jesus is you get to be with Jesus. The best part about serving Jesus is you get to serve Jesus. I live in a nice house, drive a nice car, wear nice clothes. They don't look all that good on me, but they're pretty nice. I don't know I serve God. I served God when I lived in a crummy house and drove a car. I had to carry jumper cables in to use about every time I stopped it. I served God when my clothes came from rescue mission barrels. I served God when my grocery budget was $10 a week. We had a whole lot of 11 cent craft macaroni and cheese packets for lunch. No, God's good to his servants. He rewards us generally. We limit our reward if we limit our obedience. But even when you get the reward and the boats are full of fish, nothing else matters as much as being with the Savior. Used to be a TV program on when I was a kid called A Family Affair. Brian Keith played Uncle Bill. Adopted two nieces and a nephew when their parents died. Jody and Buffy and Sissy. Had a kind of a live-in male nanny, Mr. French, real name Sebastian Cabot. One day, in one of those programs, Uncle Bill decided to keep take the kids on a fishing trip. So we got the tent. And he got the tackle boxes, he got the fishing poles, he got the sleeping bag, he got the Coleman stove, he got all the equipment, he loaded it in the back of the station wagon. That's what they used to call SUVs. <laughs> they went on their trip and everything you could imagine could go wrong, did go wrong. Mosquitoes were awful. Lines got tangled, the motor conked out, the boat leaked, it rained all the time, the tent leaked. Finally, they threw the sodden mess in the back of the car. And as they're driving home, Uncle Bill was disgusted. He said, I'm sorry, kids. I wanted you to have a good time. And one of the kids said this, oh, Uncle Bill, that's all right. We just enjoyed being with you. It's not about the stuff. Right. Revival. Your husband becoming sweeter. Your wife nagging you less. Your children becoming more obedient. Your ordinary Christian brother getting right with you. That may all happen. But the Bible says, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. 
Revival is about God taking his proper place in our life and us being properly serving him and realizing the greatest thing in life is that we may know him. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches, the wise man in his wisdom and glory. Glory in this, that you have known me, saith the Lord. There was another TV program when I was a kid. It was called Kojak. I never watched it. I don't know if it was good or bad, but I knew about it. Kojak was a New York City detective played by Telly Savalas. And he was noted for two things. He always had a lollipop in his mouth and he had a very distinctively masculine haircut. Telly Savalas one day was flying home to his native Greece. Across the aisle in the first class section of the airplane, man leaned over and said, Mr. Savalas, I know you're busy, people bother you all the time, but you're my favorite actor, and I wonder if I could talk to you a little bit. And Telly Savalas said, no, man, I'm taking this trip because I'm worn out, I'm exhausted, I just need the rest, I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, he said, I understand. Long flight to Greece, about eight or ten hours to Athens from New York City. Man looked over some hours later, Telly Savalas was not eating, wasn't sleeping, wasn't working, anything, wasn't reading. And he said, Mr. Savalas, I know you don't want to be bothered, but you're my favorite actor. You're Greek. I'm Greek. You brought so much honor to our country. Could I speak to you just a little bit? No. I said, I want to be left alone. Yes, sir, you did. I'm sorry. Plane landed in Greece. As it taxis up to the gate, Telly Savalas looks out the window. He sees a band and photographers and reporters and a great crowd of people. And he began to curse. And he said, that agent of mine, I told him I didn't want anybody to know I was here. And the plane stops. Two Greek soldiers carrying their rifles enter the aircraft. Everyone stay seated, please. There's no problem. We want you to remain seated while we escort the king of Greece off the airplane. And that man had twice said, could I talk to you, Mr. Savalas? Snugged up his tie and straightened up his jacket. He went out to the band waiting to play for him and the photographers waiting to take his picture and the reporters waiting to write about his return and the crowd waiting to welcome him home. And I thought when I heard this story, what you're thinking, I wonder how Telly Savalas felt then. Twice the king of Greece said, can I talk to you a little bit? But he was too busy to be bothered. And then I thought, I wonder how I'll feel. I wonder how you'll feel. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and we must face the fact that not once, not twice, Hundreds, thousands of times. Lord Jesus said, could, could I use your boat? Would you go back and give a track to that person? Would you call that individual and try to encourage him? Would you help in that ministry? Would you come three week nights in a row to revival meeting? Would you stay for prayer? Would you give a testimony? Would you... 
thrust out a little bit from the lander, would you? Maybe launch out into the deep. Can Jesus use your boat? The Lord Jesus uses ordinary people in their possessions to do most of his work. He expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. He asks us to serve him when it's illogical. He generously rewards those who serve him. And if we limit our obedience, we limit our reward. Lord, guide me as I extend the invitation, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, please. I wonder if you're here this morning. You say, Brother Willette, I'm God's child and heaven is my home. And I'm going to tell Jesus he can use my boat. I'll make myself available to him. If he wants me to pray, I'll pray. If he wants me to go, I'll go. If he wants me to give, I'll give. If he wants me to testify, I'll testify. If he wants me to witness, I'll witness. I'll put myself at his disposal for him to use as he sees fit. I wonder who says, yeah. I'm going to tell the Lord Jesus right now that he can use my boat I'm willing to thrust out a little from the land. If you'll say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. God bless you. That's a very good response. Thank you. Thank the Lord. I wonder who says, I believe the Lord Jesus wants me to launch out into the deep. You may have an idea what that looks like. You may not be sure. But just say, I think Jesus wants me to do more than thrust out a little bit from the land of things. He wants me to launch out in the deep. And I'm telling him, yes. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. I wonder if you're here this morning. You say, you know, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven if I died right now. But you said I could know that. You can know that before you walk out of this room according to the Bible, the Word of God. You can know that you'll never spend one second in the devil's hell. You can know that all your sins have been erased, cleansed, forgiven, washed away. You can know that you'll never have to answer for any of the bad things you've ever done. I don't know I'd go to heaven if I died right now, but I'd like to know that. I'd like to pray for you too. Now, wait a minute. I didn't call any attention to anybody who raised their hand a moment ago. I will not now call any more attention to you than I did to them then. I'd like to include you in the prayer. I wonder who'd say, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven if I died right now. But I'd like to know that. When you pray for those other people, pray for me too. I won't embarrass you. I'd like to include you. We just lift the hand up. I'm not sure I'm going to him, but I wish I was. If you say that, hold your hand up right now, would you please? Let me know that I can include you in the prayer. Let me ask the question this way. I wonder who would say, 
Brother Olad, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying there's not room for me to improve. But I do know heaven's my home because I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trusting him and him alone for everlasting life in heaven. As a testimony to that fact, would you hold your hand up high? I do know I have a home in heaven for sure, forever. God bless you. Thank you. Mm, some of us couldn't raise our hands. Thanks for being honest. Most of us could. You could have done what everybody else did. And nobody knew the difference except you and God. You're honest. Would you be honest one more time? It wouldn't have been honest to raise your hand and say something's true when it's not true. But neither would it be honest to not raise your hand and acknowledge something to be true that is true. And it is true that God loves you and it is true that he wants for you to spend eternity with him. And it is true that his Holy Spirit convinces us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And what's going on right now that leaves you unsettled and leaves you disturbed and makes you wish this part would get over with. That's God saying, you need to do that. So would you be honest one more time? I wonder who would say, I could not raise my hand and say, I'm sure of heaven. I did not raise my hand earlier and asked you to pray that I would be sure, but I'd like to be sure. I'll be honest about it. I didn't raise the hand before, but I raise it now. Pray for me. You say that. Slip your hand up high real quick, would you please? Hold it up. Let me see it. And now our Father, you've seen our hands, you know our hearts. We ask you to do the work that only you can do. Meet with us, bless us, draw us to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be willing to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? In a moment, I'll give a signal to our friend on the piano. When I do begin to play, when he plays, that's your signal. If you lift to the hand, said, Jesus can use my boat. I'll make myself available to him. Come find a place at this altar. Talk to him about it. If you're not sure of heaven, meet us at the front. We'll help you, man. If you're a man or a boy, a lady, if you're a lady or a girl, show you from the Bible how to know that heaven's your home forever. Maybe you're saved. Have nobody to learn in baptism. You come. Folks here talked about that. Maybe you're saved and baptized. Not part of this church. And God wants you here in this local church. You come. And they'll talk to you about that. But don't wait. Don't hesitate. The music plays.